Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right, welcome, everyone. Back here to Strength to Strength here on this Saturday morning. Uh, Bill, it's good to see you on here. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning and along with uh, many others here. Um, it's, good to, it's good to see you. Um, so, Bill, I met Bill uh, probably six or seven years ago. Uh, it might be less than that, maybe more like five, whenever we started doing videography at Kingdom Fellowship Weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember seeing this tall gentleman running the video cameras there. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, Bill, are you about six foot eight? How tall, oh. how tall, how tall no, are you? Somewhere around six four. Okay, well, you you uh, you, you you tower over me, and and um, I'm yeah. So Bill is very tall. You can't see that here on the Zoom call. Um, and uh, but Bill has a real heart, uh, a big heart. Um, it's bigger than his height for the kingdom of God and to see the kingdom of God spread and move forward and also um, to see us using our intellect to engage with people. And so, yeah, this morning, uh, his, his talk is on my reflections um, on my use or reflections on my use of apologetics. So looking forward to this topic uh, very much, Bill. Uh, we live in a time where uh, like maybe never before we're engaging people on all sides and um, there's definitely a, a big part of that is, is with their minds. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to share here this morning. Let's just begin with prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity on this morning to be together with brothers and sisters. Father, we ask that you would guide this call, that you would bless our brother Bill uh, in a special way. And Father, as we think about um, how do we be your hands and feet in our world today? How do, we, how do we be faithful? How do we be filled with full of grace and truth as your son was? And so, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would anoint this call in a special way, and particularly our brother, Bill, uh, that you would give him the words to say, a clear mind. And, Father, help us to, to grow, to take another step forward uh, this morning in, in this journey of, of sharing your truth to the world around us. So go with us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Bill, uh, I'll turn it to you here shortly. Bill comes to us from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure how long you've lived there. Bill, maybe you want to tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself and some of your background and what has formed you and who you are. So um, all yours. All right. Well, good morning. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you really well. Okay, good. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I'm from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. I'm actually uh, in the shop right now. I work at Brickville Trailers and uh, found a wall here to sit in front of where I got some good Wi-Fi. Um, I've been here, uh, I've been here uh, just about exactly eight years. August 8th will be eight years. Uh, I actually moved up here to teach school, and it's amazing how God works through small choices where we, we, um, we have to do something, and uh, we're throwing some options, and we, we, um, we make a choice. Um, based on 
on um, what we feel like would be something that would honor him with our life. And um, God, God works with those things and brings, brings so many other things in our life. Um, and yes, about being tall, um, that is a, uh, I like being big, but it, it, it's a pain sometimes um, in more ways than one. I used to hit my head a lot. And it's also, um, it puts you at a, at a, uh, a disadvantage because people automatically think that you have the world under control. Um, you can handle things because you're, it is, <laughs> and you're automatically intimidating. Um, you you lose five points. We're just walking in the room. So, um, it's, it's all good. So, uh, I guess like when I, when I hear people say things like that, I think, well, I just, I think about what uh, God said to Samuel there, um, when he went to anoint a King, don't be fooled either way by the size of a person, but, uh, but by what, um, the, the character. So, and I, I pray that people are not fooled um either way by me um some people are scared of me i'm thankful the people who know me best aren't so um so yeah a little bit about uh my background i'll get into that shortly um i think telling stories telling our life stories is important um, because that's what jesus primarily commanded us to do is to be witnesses and that involves talking obviously but it involves the way we live and um so, so an important part of being a witness is, is sharing stories, um, things that we've learned, ways we've encountered Christ and ways he's changed us, <clears throat> sharing mistakes we've made, lessons we've learned, um, challenges that we've been able to overcome. So um, just a little bit about the purpose, uh, my purpose in this talk. When Bryant wanted me to talk about apologetics, I, I cringed right away because I'm not, I, I don't have an academic um, um repertoire or uh, I don't I really don't have any credentials um I'm mostly self-taught and, and a lot of the things I've I've um even taught on when I've taught on apologetics um and um but uh but this whole thing has been quite a journey for me I've got a lot of critique from different people on it and uh, that always makes me I'm not as big as I look at I, when I get criticism, it, it goes pretty deep. It makes me second guess myself a lot. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so I'm, I'm a little slow to, to set myself up as, a te- as an apologist or as someone to teach people how to you know, go about demonstrating from science or whatever, just because I'm, I'm not an academic in that way. But, um, but I can share some lessons that I've learned from uh, my own the use of apologetics, both personally to, to bolster and, and found my own faith. And then also in um, my own use of them in trying to lead other people to faith and obedience to Christ. And, uh, and also just from, as I've, as I've uh, listened to and learned from and tried to participate in the apologetic arena, <clears throat> some things that I've learned um, and am learning about how, the, uh, the productiveness of, uh, of some of our methods, um, some commentary on that. So, so my purpose for, for this talk this morning is, is for one, to, to create a, a space of fellowship and camaraderie um, in our separate but possibly similar journeys. <clears throat> um, if, if someone can go away saying, boy, I, I guess maybe I'm not, not crazy, or, or that if, if God can help Bill make, through, make it through that, then, then I can too, then my, my purpose is fulfilled. And then also to uh, 
to hopefully contribute a perspective of truth that will provoke others to thought or investigation, or that in some way will give someone a stepping stone. Uh, I used to tell my students that a lot when I taught school that um, if you can get a hold of this just a little bit, you'll be 20 years ahead of me. And that, that energizes me a lot in life. If I can somehow help someone else to start out in a better place than I did. Um, so just real quickly, the, the term apologetics, um, just making sure we understand what we're talking about. Uh, I've learned in a lot of spheres in life that that's an extremely important thing is to define your terms. Many misunderstandings and arguments develop because what the, 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 uh, the picture in my mind is not the picture that's being produced in your mind when, when a certain term is used. Apologetics comes from the Greek word uh, apologia, which famously is used in, in uh, uh, 1 Peter 3.15, where it says to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. I think that's a part of the verse that really needs to be focused on, because when he becomes special to me, he becomes my, my, my focus, my, um, you know, like in a romantic couple is... That's all they can think about everything they're in every context. So that comes first. And then we, we, we learn to give an answer. It says, um, I think the, the, uh, the passage, the translation quoted on the website, says a defense, but a, uh, that sounds a little more defensive, but, uh, to give a, a reasonable, um, explanation that compels someone else to, to think and to, to make a choice. <clears throat> um, yeah, so the Greek word actually comes from the, uh, the Greek court system where a, a citizen could get up and give an, an apologia, uh, a defense. He could be his own attorney, his own lawyer in court. Um, and uh, so it has the idea to give an answer for yourself, to clear yourself a defense, um, a defense or reason statement or argument. It's used uh, actually several times in the New Testament. Um, Paul there on the, the steps of the castle in Jerusalem when he is, he's mobbed and then... Um, rescued by his his arrest by the roman uh, soldiers he he says the men brethren and fathers hear my defense my apologia which i now make unto you and it's interesting then what he uses as his his apologia especially in that context speaking to the jews he, he tells a story about what god has been doing in his life so that they understand why he's uh, that he's not trying to overthrow the moses and the and the and the temple um Several other places Paul refers to Philippians one of uh, the defense of the gospel, which again is not just a verbal defense, but a, a whole package of, of life and so forth. We'll, we'll look at that later. Some uh, an interesting one to me is in Second uh, Corinthians seven eleven, which is the, the passage where Paul talks about uh, true repentance, and it says in there what what fear. Uh, back up here a little bit. Yeah, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. What apologia there a, a defense <clears throat> which uh, obviously probably was not verbal predominantly um and then the uh, second timothy paul talks about in my, during my first answer no man stood with me so this idea of of being a place where we have to explain why we're doing what we're doing why we believe what we do what motivates us what drives us what orients us in life um it has, it's, 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 it's a, a term and a concept that presumes this thing of faith, that there are things that we, we <clears throat> cannot know for sure, but we have to, to, to build off of something and make choices, take a course of action, a course of life on. Um, 
um, both for ourselves and, and to, to teach and to, to guide others in the way we understand to be the way to life. Mm-hmm. There's kind of two branches of apologetics. One is, is the logic of taking someone from a principle or an axiom to an application. And then also the, the, the um, giving of a reason or foundation or evidence for faith or belief or trust. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, one thing um, I want to bring up here just at the beginning, I'm going to talk about some objections to the use of apologetics. And that it, one is, though, is if you, use, if you use logic to argue against using logic, you are burning your own bridge. Uh, C.S. Lewis tells a little story in the Pilgrim's Regress about that, about the man who his wife sent the letter out to meet him um, and says, your enemies are at home waiting for you. Should I burn the bridge so that your enemies can't get to you or so that you cannot get home? And so whenever we argue against using logic, we, we really are burning our own bridge. Um, it doesn't work. So. <clears throat> so there's kind of two things I'm going to be d- talking about is one is sharing um, perspective on my own struggle with faith and trusting God. And then also perspective on the struggle of trying to bring others to faith and obedience. And so I'll be, I'll be arguing some for apologetics and some against its common use. So a little bit about my own journey. Um, so first of all, I, when I share this, I have no interest in pity. I'm not saying this to, so everybody feels sorry for me, um, but, but more so that you understand that I know a little bit of what I'm talking about. This isn't just a, an academic exercise or a hobby. And, um, and also again, so that, so that others who hear and may be feeling alone or trapped or in, in the dark, um, know that they're not alone, that it's, it's possible to, um, to grow and to, um, um, to move past those, to come out of it and, and find freedom. So I, I grew up in a, I'm not, you know, I wasn't raised by a, a drunk dad that beat us and, and we didn't know who God was or anything like that. I was grew up in a very religious home, although not very Christian. And um, so I was very introduced, very, we were some of the most Bibled and spanked kids in, in the U.S. Um, uh, we moved around a lot. Um, and it seemed like for some reason, we always showed up at churches uh, just in time for a split, a near split, or at least a mass exodus. And uh, those things are, are very devastating. And when you're, you know, you don't live anywhere more than a year, two, three, uh, four years, uh, that, that brings a lot of instability. Um, then I, I, I lived in a home where there was strife and anger and um, uh, every form of abuse you can think of. And then, then some, a lot of, a lot of trash talk and negativity and, and just tearing down about a lot of things. And, and we were introduced to God as that kind of person as well. And so that, that set me up with just a, a predisposition about myself and about God and a lot of things. It was very negative, uh, very, um, very destructive. And, um, I left that, um, when I was 21 and a half and I thought, well, now things will get better. And people who are more practical about their Christianity, they must understand these things. They would stand up for truth better. And, and that, that didn't happen. I, I kept running into massive corruption in leadership. Um, and, um, at times being from a different cultural background, being from non manic background or just not speaking Dutch, a lot of loneliness. Uh, I could 
use the, the buzzword discrimination, but just being left out because I wasn't related to everybody else or uh, things like that. Um, a lot of strife and gossip and, and just things like that, ungodliness among conservative people. I'm not saying that everybody's that way, but it's, I countered a lot of that. And, um, and that influences your, your taste for then the other things that they stand up for. Um, Jesus makes a profound statement when he's talking about our hearts. And he says, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? And sometimes we think that, well, you know, really the worst would be to be from a, a home where you didn't know anything about God. And that would be the greatest darkness. And I don't want to say so much better or worse, but there was a whole nother dimension of darkness when what is to be the light is dark. Then there is nothing. When you are introduced to God and to, to the Bible and to the church as a, a society of, of corruption, or at least a lot of it, and, um, and abuse, that is, then there is no one to turn to in, in, in the world. Um, so I carried a, I guess one picture as I think about my life and, and trusting, uh, trusting a person that, that, that gave me a context of stability. It reminds me of pipeline blasting. I don't know if you've ever seen a video clip of that, but, uh, but they, they set charges just really close together, sometimes a couple of feet apart, a uh, dynamite charges, and then they light, they, they set it off and it's just in a, a swift succession. It'll cover, uh, it'll cover a mile in a, in a matter of several seconds or maybe a minute. And just, just everything, the whole, when it gets done, it's just a ripple of explosions and the whole thing just is, is in the air and falls down and it's a pile of rubble. Uh, a lot of ways, that's my trust it, in, in, from my parents to the spiritual leadership. That's uh, this just, it seemed like it just one after the other, just everything I tried to put my trust in, looked up to um, was destroyed. <clears throat> and um so, so that makes you kind of wonder, God, what's wrong with me? Why? Wh what's going on in the world? What's going on in my life? Does is there anybody who cares about me? Maybe, maybe we are just all a big mistake, and the Bible is just a hoax. And um, in, the, in the story of Eli of Elisha, he goes with Elijah out there across the Jordan River, and, and Elijah is taken up in the chariot, and um, Elijah cries out and in anguish there and uh, picks up Elijah's mantle and he turns around and he heads back to the Jordan river and he gets to the Jordan river and he grabs Elijah's mantle and smacks the water. And he cries out and he says, where's the God of Elijah? And the waters parted. And uh, that cry just embodies, I guess, my cry through a lot of my teen years and my twenties and even my early thirties. Uh, I actually, I'll be turning 40 on the 26th of August, just in case you're curious, but um is, is God, where is God? Where is he? Where is he at? And my life personally, um, my emotions and life circumstances and in the world. Um, so it's different things like that led to faith crisis after faith crisis. Probably most people didn't realize it was at that point, um, partly because I'm big and partly because you know how it is when you're a child and you're scared of the boogeyman. And so you force yourself to walk slowly because you know, if you start running, it's all over and he'll get you, whatever, whatever that is. And so, so this whole thing was a little bit that way for me. I knew I can't give in to fear or else I'm going to go off the deep end, either mentally or morally. And, and I, I was afraid of that. So I kept just suppressing it as just not, just choosing not to give into this stuff, but it wasn't really, I uh, didn't really have a lot to, 
to spur me forward and empower me in life. One of the big things I guess I, I, I struggled with is feeling alone in the universe, um, deserted. Uh, I was like Oliver Twist on the streets of London there. And all, the only thing that had any interest in me was the guys like Fagan and the, the robber gang, Bill Sykes, and uh, um, or as John Branion uh, makes the, the second pig say in his Shakespearean version of the three little pigs. So we are, I was tremulous and vulnerable. <laughs> um, <clears throat> as the wolf continues to pursue. Um, I, I had this innate, uh, this lack of this innate assurance that it seemed like everybody else had and everybody else, you know, experienced that things worked out for them, God answered their prayers and, and it wasn't happening for me. Uh, I kept hoping that someday the sun was going to shine and, and, and um, things would get fixed. Um, life would, would become normal. Um, didn't happen. And, and you can only live in, in a, in a, a world of cognitive dissonance for so long. So dissonance is when you have two pitches of like musical pitches that are clashing with each other. And you can only live for so long trying to convince yourself of something that everything around you is telling you isn't real. Um, it's living in denial and it actually drives people nuts. And uh, many people have turned from Christianity or turned to Christianity, oddly enough, because of that, they had to be true to what really seemed like was, was the evidence. And that, that's kind of a, a crisis point I kept running into periodically, was it just seemed like, as much as I wanted to believe, it, it just seemed like the evidence was contrary. <clears throat> and uh, little did I know, though, that the darkness that I was experiencing was eventually going to be the very thing that ended up grounding my faith. And we'll get to that later on. I'll leave you in suspense. Until um, the end for some things that, that, that transformed that experience in my life and have given me um, faith and, and hope. Uh, Peter talked about our earnest expectation and our hope. Um, things, things to look forward to in life, regardless of circumstance. <clears throat> so uh, getting into apologetics, obviously, you know, you need some grounding in life. Um, I remember as a boy, as a teenager going to church one Wednesday night, there was going to be a topic and the topic was going to be, how do we know the Bible is true? And I'm like, well, this is, you know, this is going to be interesting. How do we know? Um, I, I was raised in a family that was my, my father was very intellectual and knowing things and understanding was, was important. Um, you didn't just say, I don't know. You, you find out, you think you try to figure it out. Um, and that evening, most of what was quoted was, or was given was scripture, you know, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven and all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that's, that's all great, but that's self-authentication. We're not here to talk about that this morning, but so that piqued my interest. And then also at the same time, left me very empty. Um, that would have been probably uh, 2000, you know, late nineties, early 2000. Uh, 2005, after I moved, um, the youth group visited the creation museum and that opened me up to a whole a whole new realm of, of this evidence and, and that the Bible and its story is, is actually um, evidence for that is actually very demonstrable. Um, 2007 uh, was a major turning point in my life and softening to God, um, opening myself to that. He loved me and the things that had happened in my life were something he had allowed because he had good purpose to bring through them and, re and redeem them. And so that, through that all and, and thinking about God redeeming my life, I, um, one of the things I immediately thought of was reaching out to others. And so I, I got involved in evangelism, uh, began uh, working with some people from Franklin, Kentucky, 
with street meetings and prison ministry and some things like that. Got into Ray Comfort and listening to the, to a lot of his his training and also his live live encounters and stuff. Um, and uh, Answers in Genesis. Uh, read a lot, listened to a lot of, of stuff from them. <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, so I'm at this point of trying to open myself to God and learn, but a lot of life circumstances still make struggles. And I still have a lot of stuff that's gone on in the past that I'm trying to figure out, how do I reconcile this? And so, you know, on the street in Nashville, they're uh, having street meetings and talking to people. Many of their questions triggered my own questions. Many of their objections triggered my own objections. And so I could, I could refute and, and, and talk back, but it would stick with me like, like cockleburs. And I go through the week and I listen to stuff on the road and trying to, I'm trying to, trying to find answers for these questions because they're more than just out there in their minds. It's something that is, is my own or their questions bring up questions in mind. Uh, 2009 went to a regional Bible school, um, had uh, went to a Bible and science class and, um, that, that further piqued my interest in, um, and put some important foundations. And one was this, the concept that, um, you cannot prove things. You can find evidence, things that collaborate a testimony, but you can't prove, um, that the Bible is true. Um, as well as some important things about genetics and racism and some things like that. Uh, 2011, uh, was at Faith Mission. It was the year I went to Faith Mission. Uh, met Jay Stoltzfus there, um, and uh, our journeys connected. We sh- I shared we shared a lot of both evangelism and apologetic resources. Uh, out of that, Soldiers of the Cross was formed in 2013. I taught apologetics there for uh, I don't know, probably five or six times now. Not all the time, but uh, and that's been a, been a tremendous journey. Um, as you, I try to articulate my faith to others and explain what I do believe and how we can know things, it makes you wrestle through what you believe on a whole nother level. That's one reason, aside from anything else, I think evangelism is good for us. Um, that was the concept through which I was challenged and began to evaluate a lot of things. Um, it, it, through this all, there's a, there's a journey of, of, wrestling through church and from moving around a lot and different, seeing all these things in different places, wondering what, so what is true? What do we believe? What is church about? What does the Bible teach? You know, um, struggling with the, the pressure towards antinomianism or in other words that, that your works don't matter. Your works are actually a, a bad thing. And um, what am I going to believe? I, I have counselors that are working with some other, my family members and they would sit down and tell me things. And I'm like, what am I going to believe? Do I want to swallow that whole package? And one thing that, that stood me in good stead um, through much of that and since was to simply just say, so what does Jesus and the apostles teach? What, does the, what is the message that the Bible tells us? And most of the time I find these answers are something that's very simple. It's up in the front. It's a basic teaching um, that, that gives us light on many of these subjects. It's not some hidden thing that we've got to go root out somewhere um, and, and, and extrapolate from um one thing i guess that that made me question and begin to evaluate things on several fronts is 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 the lack of results both in in churches and and also in in evangelism from the the evangelical world um yeah so um a lot of wrestling and 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 on intellectual level and then just uh, on a personal level so I want to talk, kind of switch now. I'll finish that, that, that story some later. Um, 
some objections um, to the whole thing of apologetics, giving an answer in defense of of truth or or leading people to faith through evidence. For one, the question is, is faith blind? That question is thrown around a lot. Um, Blind faith is not faith. It's recklessness. It's ignorance. It's stupidity. It's it's like gambling and, and hoping that somehow the odds will fall the opposite direction and you'll be some rare odds that um, the rules of, of math don't work so well for. Um, and and that, that'll happen to fall in your favor. So we, we exercise faith far beyond the, the religious realm. We exercise it all the time in a, in a daily way. And when I, when I rolled this chair in here this morning and sat on it, I didn't know that it was going to hold me up. But I've sat on chairs other times and I, and I saw it. I, beyond reasonable doubt, I didn't even think it through. I just exercised faith because of previous experience. <clears throat> um, in, the, in the financial realm, we use this concept a lot. We talk about credit and creditors. Um, when we're talking about teaching or a doctor, we talk about credentials. It's reasons to trust this person, to have faith in this person. Um, in, the, in, the, in the realm of investment, um, we actually will say at times, you can't prove that this person is going to pay you back or that this business venture is going to prove profitable and, and produce um, good dividends. But we will say that it, it's stupid not to invest in that. We will say actually that it is, it is illogical not to exercise faith. Um, so faith is not blind, but faith builds on evidence. Sometimes it may be smaller than other times, but faith builds on evidence and projects and acts um, based on a prediction that that evidence will continue into whatever realm uh, we're moving. Do we need evidence? Do we have to have evidence? Do we have to have a reason? Um, so looking at the, the, uh, the spiritual realm, this is, a, this is something God has created. Um, and, and so the whole Bible is full of this thing of God presenting evidence. Um, God doesn't just expect people to trust him out of the blue. Um, for example, God working with the children of Israel, when he gets to, um, uh, well, when he sends Moses, first of all, um, he gives him some miracles, some miraculous things to do that demonstrate a supernatural presence with him and therefore with his message and the predictions that were made through it. Um, when God uh, begins his, his interchange with the Israelites at Mount Sinai, and there's all that, the volcano activity going on there, um, God says to them in, in Exodus 19, he says, look at what I've done for you and how I've cared for you. I've borne you on eagle's wings. And so obey me, follow me, and you'll be a peculiar treasure to me. You'll be a, a nation of priests. And uh, so God tells them, look back at what I've done and, 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 tr- and then trust. Uh, so God always is giving evidence. Actually, in Hebrews 3, where, where God uh, reflects back on that journey, he depicts himself being unproven. He says, he refers to the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years, and yet they chose not to trust him. Um, so God depicts himself as being unproving and, and being in a position where he is, he is giving evidence for them to trust. Jesus does that all through his ministry. He doesn't just expect everybody to take this guy who shows up on the bank of the Jordan Rivers and just do everything he says, but he continually calls them to look at his life. Uh, John chapter 5, where he heals the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, 
he says, well, if you just, if you look at, you'll know that I am sent from God, that my God is my father, because if you look at me, you will see my father's activity um, going on here. So that, that's a rather short defense of that, but I, I think it's just something that's woven all through scripture that, no, we don't have to know everything. We don't have to understand everything, but God does not expect us to stick our heads in a barrel of firecrackers and light the fuse in order to follow him. Um, God created our intellects and he expects us to use them, but they are not the whole picture. They are not the whole story. And we'll talk about that a little later, Lord willing. Um, what about Thomas? So didn't Jesus tell Thomas that blessed are those who, who believe without having to see? Well, yes, but, but that's in a context. That's in a context of Thomas walking with Jesus for the last three years and seeing and living in a supernatural experience with Jesus in both in his teaching and in his character and in his, his miracles. And, and Jesus is gently telling Thomas that shouldn't that have led you to, to believe in, in me further? Um, and he actually gives that rebuke to the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus as well. <clears throat> so it's not just blind faith, not having to see anything. Um, didn't Jesus say not to premeditate? You shouldn't be thinking ahead of time what you're going to answer. Well, again, we need to look at the context there. Lots of damage is done by taking verses, grabbing verses out of context. And he's saying there, particularly when you are grabbed and hauled in before um, you're taken to court, um, you're hauled in before religious leaders, which and then we're in a place of political power and to political leaders and you're he's not saying don't ever think in your life about what you're going to say, but don't worry about it. Don't sit there and, and bite your nails all night trying to figure out how you're going to get yourself out of this. But again, Peter says to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And that, that, that um, love for God and learning his ways and walking with him, um, learning to share with others and, and convince others to follow him that you've been doing all your life. God's spirit is going to take that and that you're in your, saturation with his word he's going to bring that back to your mind and, and teach you what to say isn't man's wisdom against god's wisdom you know first corinthians chapter two talks about that not standing in the wisdom of men uh the wisdom of man is foolishness with god <clears throat> uh romans talks about the carnal mind being enmity against god well this is not talking about any intellectual knowledge but a reliance on that solely a uh, man's wisdom man figuring out for himself how to live and how everything should be a reliance on his own wisdom rather than a reliance on God. Um, so again, it's not saying that we, we should not think anything through or have, have any reasons um, for believing uh, demonstrate it's referring more to a reliance on that. And again, I would, I would argue that the, the tenor of scripture as a whole is God himself demonstrating evidence um, and presenting that, us, that to us and pointing it out to us. Um, just a few very blatant examples of that in the scientific realm. Should we be using science as a demonstration of evidence to lead people towards faith? <clears throat> well, Roman, God himself does that. Um, Romans 1, 19 through 20 um, is famously often quoted uh, where it says that the, the invisible characteristics of God are clearly seen from since the creation because God has shown us, he has demonstrated uh, his, his character to us in, in the, the, um, his artwork, his, his uh, poema, which uh, oddly enough is the same word used in Ephesians 2.10 to demonstrate, to, to refer to God's um, expression of himself in his new creation of us as humans. 
Um, we are his workmanship, his poema. So God is expressing himself in the world around us. And he expects us to look at that and be pointed towards um, faith and obedience. What Romans uh, 1, 19 through 20 says that people are without excuse because of the evidence they see of someone that they should be, should be following and cooperating with. Um, in, in Matthew 6, Jesus does this with the birds and the flowers. He says, uh, look at the birds, look at the flowers and learn a lesson of God's love and care and, and of trust in him. Um, the book of Job, that's the primary apologetic, if you, if you please, that God uses with Job. And Job's crying out to God and saying, who are you? What's going on? This, nothing makes sense. And so God does this, steps in and takes him on a nature walk and shows him all these fascinating things that Job, and, and even today, many of them, we still don't understand. We may understand that water makes a six-sided hexagon when it freezes, but we don't understand why. Um, and, uh, and so God himself uses that with Job. And through that, Job um, sees God's character and learns to trust God in what he cannot understand. Um, the Apostle Paul used this, along with other things that we'll notice later. Um, on Mars Hill and in Lystra, he points to the creation to, uh, for, to, to encourage people to, to think beyond their idols and themselves to the God who did make everything. So as, I, as I've learned a lot about using many of those things to point out evidence to God, and that did encourage me many times through my journey when I couldn't see God in my life events or even maybe in, in many of the people around me. Um, I, I don't know how, quite how to say this, but I, I'm always wondering, what is this really the way this should be being done? And especially as I, I see the embroilment of, of the apologetic community in these debates, and, and, and I'm not against debate in itself, but these the, all of the effort to convince people to follow Jesus is, is spent in the scientific, in the, in the, the philosophical realm. <clears throat> and I'm just, I just keep wondering, is that really the way this is supposed to be? Um, a lot of things have played into that whole thing. But again, I've, I, I finally came and I started saying, so what does Jesus say is going to convince people? What did the apostles uh, use? How did they go about this? <clears throat> especially before they understood bacteria and DNA and, you know, just all those kind of things. And some verses that like many times in, in places like this, there's been just, just even just a couple verses that have been burned in my heart and, and guided me become an axiom to begin to guide me through the fog. Um, and one is where Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. And it's not by DNA. It's not by universal morality. Um, it's by you all loving each other. And again, in John 17, he says in his prayer there that, that they, speaking of disciples, may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And uh, that's what Jesus refers to as the thing that is going to convince people that he is God's king come to, to start a revolution and to change and restore humanity is is the, the life that they see in his followers, especially their love for one another, um, resulting in their, their unity. And uh, as I reflect on that, it just seems like that has not, that the, possibly the reason why we have to spend so much effort 
in in the scientific realm and in the philosophical realm is because that is so sadly lacking among Christians. And, and oddly enough, it seems like the more outwardly obedient Christians are, the more strife and the more separation um, that there is. And I, I don't have all the answers to that. I, I have a few perspectives on it, but I think that that should bring us to humility and to, to crying out to God and, and realizing we, we have something major to learn here about what it means to follow Jesus. And, 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 uh, a dust and ashes um, agony and, and, and repentance because we are missing the ultimate apologetic. Again, I'm not saying that that is everywhere or in every place. I don't mean to stereotype any group or anything like that, but I'm just uh, take the observation and, and evaluate it yourself. Um, and it seems like we either have people who call, claim the name of Christ and they're, they're lo- then they are loving and they're, you know, they get along together, but then they're missing the demonstration of obedience or else, there's outward demonstrations of obedience, but they are very unobedient in their relationships and things like that. It kind of seems like there's the one or the other. And you have conservative people who there are many good things about them, but then they're embroiled in, in the world's methods of entertainment and, and politics and, and, you know, suing at law and, and just for things like that and not demonstrating the, the, the forgiving uh, suffering love of, of Jesus Um, one thing that I think is, is really important in this whole thing is, is in so many ways in our Anabaptist circles, we have lost an understanding of the historic faith. And so we are ignorant of the many ways in which we are looking at scripture and being influenced with, through lenses and, and ideology that is not biblical. It's not the faith handed down from the apostles. And so because we're, we're not, we don't understand it, we don't know that we're like the fish. We don't know that we're wet because it's just the environment that we've grown up in is Western Christianity. And, and so many of these things are leaching in, um, and we, we don't realize it, that we're being influenced um, by a community that is full of many good people, I think, who want to do right, but um, are saturated with a, with a doctrine that fundamentally denies the importance of obedience and, and of, of a changed life. Um, that, that's a, that's a discussion for another time. There, I think there's been many good discussions on this, this forum and, and other places on that. Um, but I think that's really important is to, is to begin to, 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 to um, investigate and learn what was the historic faith uh, that was handed down in ways that things have changed and therefore have changed, not what being a true Christian is, but what is, what is normally produced and thought of as a Christian. And so people see God in the created world, but they don't see that ultimate proof of God's artwork in the people. And so that creates a dissonance and, and in their minds and a confusion. Um, you know, there is a King when you see his kingdom, when you, when you, um, plow through the last thicket or, or come through the mountain pass and you see spread out before you a, a place of uh, that's, that's been domesticated and, and cultivated and there's roads and there's clean water and there's people living in well-repaired houses and that are happy and, and thriving, you know, there's a King, there's someone who has been, who has protected and, um, and, and bought this land from, from the, the elements and the, the barbarians, if you please. And, and ordered things. And I think that's so much what's missing and why maybe not, we're not more effective at leading people to, to faith in Christ and obedience. Um, 
is because the kingdom is not is not convincing people that there is a king. The, the people who claim to be uh, the people of the kingdom uh, live much like like those who are who are following the uh, the guerrilla groups, <clears throat> and, and that's a, a critique that I think we we most of all need to take personally. Um, more so or, or, or before applying it to, to the groups that we're part of. <clears throat> um, there's the cry in the Old Testament there. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the hurt of the daughter of my people recovered? And you know there's a balm in Gilead. You know there's a physician there when you see people recovering. And I, I know personally of many people who have left conservative settings because of that, because there was not help. There was not healing and I don't mean just emotional or things like that, but there was not wholeness um, there. And, and that is, I, I, I mourn and I grieve over that. And, and I also have to repent because I know that to, to some extent, at least, I ha have been part of that myself at times. We'll look a little bit about what Jesus and the apostles talk about as things that are going to convince people. So I'm just going to read a lot with not a lot of comment here. Matthew 5, 6, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So people are going to be pointed to God and say, wow, he's the one that is in charge. And he's the one that we should be following um, by the way that you live. First Peter 2, 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, your life, they see you living a life that they know is real and that is not possible for them to live, um, is going to turn them toward God. First um, Corinthians 14, 24, and talking about uh, meeting, uh, meetings and, and the order in them, if all prophesy, so if all are declaring truth and there come in one that believe not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on its face, you will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And so the context there is that when there's order and rather than a bunch of chaos and each one doing his own thing, if we are working together to declare truth, he's going to come in, he's going to see something that is wisdom and embrace it for himself. First Peter 2, 12, this is talking to, um, Wait a minute. That's the same one I had earlier. Sorry, that's a ditto. Uh, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So being blameless and harmless. Um, and, and interestingly enough, the context there Paul is talking about, first he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing, <laughs> so that you can be blameless and harmless, and you can shine as lights. So uh, very instructive there. Very convicting for me. Titus 2.6, young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So he's going to see in you a, a quality of character and of life that he doesn't have an explanation for. He can't criticize that. And like uh, Justin Martyr famously says that the uh, uh, so when they see that there's something there, they see the martyrs suffering with joy and they realize there's something here. I, I, I don't, I need, I want this. And they're going to inquire into it and be, and be willing to give themselves to have that. First Peter three sixteen. 
uh, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Um, so suffering with a good conscience, having a clear, a life that is exemplary and uh, that doesn't have dirt to be dug up. Um, some reason I didn't get that one in here. There's one um, Peter talks about the wives um, living with a, a chaste conversation so that um, if anyone is an unbeliever, they may without the word, without scripture, even be won by the conversation of the wives as they behold your chaste conversation coupled with, with reverence. Um, so there is not, this isn't something that you have to have a college degree um, or, or something like that in, to demonstrate and to convince people. Now, we want to be careful of the false dichotomies saying you're either one or the other, either you're intellectual and you can explain all this stuff, or else you're just a humble servant who, you know, can't explain anything, but you just, you just um, demonstrate straight Christ-likeness. We don't see that in the apostles. Um, but ultimately, it is, it is that humble, um, childlike following Christ that is the ultimate um, convincer. And I, I, so I think we should, as our gifting is, as God gives us the, the gift of grace to be a teacher um, or, or an evangelist and things like that, we should use those gifts to explain from the created world or from logic, how it points to God as the creator of all things and, and that his, his order is to be, to be followed. Um, but at its core, it is, it is the simple obedience that demonstrates a life that people will know and actually desire. Um, another part of this is, um, is uh, many times apologetics is, is um, practiced as a, as a me thing. So here's this great speaker who's going to, to explain to us why we can understand the Bible is true. And, and that, that, that is, is good. But the, the ultimate proof, the package of, of evidence that is going to convince people is something that is demonstrated by the group, not as an individual. Um, oftentimes it is, it is in my own life, it has been truth coupled with friendship and just, just care and, and gentleness and kindness, uh, warmth. And, and so it's, it's the group together. And I say this partly to be, to encourage people who are not so intellectual. I have many people think, well, what does this have to do with me? You know, I can't explain all that stuff. I don't understand all that stuff. And, um, and, and then some people, um, fight back, push back against use of apologetics um, intellectual apologetics, you could say, um, because of that. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's the whole thing. Um, it's the person who can help somebody think through their thinking. And it's also the person who is a, a, it's the lady who is a, a modest, um, supportive, um, loving wife and mother in her home and hospitable, the hospitality that, that a person feels there and the peace that is brought by her presence there. <clears throat> um, it's also the society or the group that demonstrates um, what Jesus is about. The purpose of Jesus and therefore his church is not to get us all out of here before this thing blows, um, but it's to start a reconquista, to a reconquering, to invade and colonize earth with heaven's way until eventually the mother country comes in force and purges forever um, all that is barbaric, so to speak. Man. Um, the purchase, purpose of the church is not to stay out of trouble so we don't lose our ticket through the pearly gates. 
but to begin creating a human family that lives together in fellowship and partnership with God and each other and a reestablishment of Eden. So the purpose isn't, it's not just that, you know, I go to church so that it keeps me on the straight and narrow so I can get to heaven when I die. But it, the purpose of Jesus coming is to redeem us so we can live together in closeness and demonstrate a new humanity. So, so I think we should think of apologetics more in, in that way as well. So another thing that has become very important in my own journey is Jesus says um, that in, in order to become part of the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a little child. And one of my problems was in life was I felt like I needed to understand everything. And part of it was because I didn't feel like it was safe to trust. Um, this whole thing of evidence. So God does give evidence, but he expects us then to not have to understand everything. Um, Israel in the wilderness had the most evidence of any group of people recorded throughout history. And yet they became the most hard and spoiled group of people in history. The problem was they were stubborn. They wanted their own way. They didn't want to become children and look up to and join, to reach their hand up and join something bigger than themselves. Uh, could quote a lot of scriptures where God reflects back on that through like Deuteronomy and the Psalms and the prophets. Um, God has woven a certain amount of hiddenness into truth so that those who find it will only be those of pure, humble hearts and those who are not, yeah, and those who are not will not find it because they really don't want it. Uh, the scribes and Pharisees are an example of that. They come and they want a sign and Jesus says, you've already got lots of evidence. Um, you're not following, you're not doing anything with that. Um, Well, yeah, I'll deal with that in the next section a little bit more personally. Uh, one thing I think we really need to be careful of is, is feeling like we can understand everything. I feel like that as much as I appreciate a lot about answers in Genesis, I feel like that's one thing that they have erred in is, is, is they have tried to figure out too much. And so, you know, we take one scripture about Jesus dying for Adam's race. And then we say that therefore there cannot be aliens on other planets. I shouldn't have brought that up, <laughs> but I just think that's, I don't believe in little green men necessarily, but, but I think to, to make an absolute dogmatic statement that there is no sort of life form anywhere in the universe is not, I don't think we know that. I think that it's unlikely that there is some sort of humanoid type of thing, but that's a discussion, probably a, actually one that's to be kept uh, recreational. <laughs> but I just think when we, we discredit ourselves when we say things like that, or I, I don't have a lot of, a lot of them, there's, there's many things that they have, have taken a passage or a certain perspective and extrapolated from and nailed down things that maybe I think are likely, but aren't really things that are black and white, and maybe even historically were, were kept gray by the early church. They said, well, we, we really don't know how that was, but we do know this, and I think that is so important to do. I have found that so freeing, um, and it brings a lot of credibility to a person. We say, well, I don't, I don't think we really can know that necessarily, but I think it is obvious that this is and that this is, uh, whether it's talking about the afterlife or the end times or a lot of things like that. Um, there are clear things that we do and can know that Jesus says clearly. And those are the things that he expects us to, to follow in. And the irony of that is, and I've found this true in my own life is that, is that often simple obedience then leads to understanding because my mind is changed 
and I begin to think like God. Um, and uh, I, I change my character through the practice, and um, and so begin to grow and, and, and understand God. As, as humans, we that happens in the natural growing up process. Um, we are disciplined by our parents, and eventually we begin to implement the same disciplines on ourselves then. We don't eat ice cream every night before we go to bed. Hopefully not. And at one time we thought that was cruel and, and, and unusual punishment uh, to not be able to eat ice cream before we go to bed every night. So just a little about my personal intellectual journey, especially in this thing of becoming childlike. I heard a lot of people talk say this kind of things about working through faith crises and it didn't make sense to me at the time or I wasn't sure. So how does, yeah, so how does that work out? Um, and so if you're in that point today, hang in there, because if you truly want to understand truth, God will lead you to, to experiencing that. But that is that I cannot discern truth. But truth is something that is. It's calling out to me. Um, the evidences that we see do not create the reality, but it's because there is a reality that, therefore, these things just pour out of everything around us. Prints don't make the robber. Fingerprints don't make the robber. But there are prints because there is a robber. Sam is intelligent, not because he writes intelligent stories or writing, but because, because Sam is intelligent, when he writes, we see impressive design and beauty and insight and things like that. And God is a person of openness and, and relationship. He wants to demonstrate himself to us. He wants to be known. And so he displays himself to us. So uh, my own intellectual journey here, going from evidence to childlike faith, kind of goes like this. The universe and its constant contents demonstrate an incredibly good and completely fabulous functional and aesthetic or just some of it's just for beauty just to be to be nice or you could say it'd be cool um so that kind of design what we do know i think this is really 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 important what we do know exposes to us that we do not know could not know and should not expect to know quoting einstein one thousandth of one percent of what nature is telling us. I think that is really important. If the, the scientific community was humble, I think they would all confess that, that we don't really almost know everything. Um, the frontier of things that are even fearful to us um, because of the things we've created scientifically are, is, is, is expanding at a, at a rapid level. In the Holy Bible, I see the same supernatural characteristics and insight, design, and preservation as displayed in the physical world. The Holy Bible reveals a person and a storyline that matches the reality I see around me in candid detail, including the human problem, my personal problem, and God's solution to that problem. So in the Holy Scriptures, I see the same kind of order and preservation and insight and a person who, um, who tells me, that he has made all things and what the human problem is and the truth about myself and the way to change. And that convicts me to confess its truth about myself and about Jesus, the one who came to, to show us the way to real life. And it inspires me to become a child and to trust and follow Jesus way counter to my perception and nature. So that's the irony is that I think that everything we can know leads us to the point where we realize that we cannot know, and therefore I need to follow what is greater than myself, even against my, my, um, my intuition or my rationale. 
the evidence of experience. This is a, another huge one to me. Experience, I heard people talk about this and I thought it was shabby, but experience does not erase other evidence, but it creates a whole other level of knowing. Uh, for example, when you go online and you buy something off of Amazon or, or many other things, and you read reviews, there's a reputation from a brand name and you read reviews or whatever, and you think, well, this is a good choice to make. Um, but then when you buy the product and you have it in your hand, you see the quality and you use it, you, you, you enter into a whole nother level of knowing. Um, and that is actually very important in scripture. All of scripture is calling us to that. Jesus is calling us to step out in faith and, and follow him, to drink from him and experience the life that we have. Um, and, and in my life, I would say the two things that have brought me out of a faith crisis, and, and I may face some very dark waters again very soon. I, I don't know, but I do know that I have, I have grown to a different point way of relating to the darkness in my life. Um, and there's something powerful that happens when we begin to spin the Romans five, three through five cycle. Um, it says that tribulation works patience and patience works experience and experience hope because our hearts are filled with God's love. When we, when we are willing to hang in there, so to speak, and persevere and keep trusting and believing in God's love and goodness through the dark, that's the only way to get to that point where then we can look back and say, ha, I know last time that God brought me through this, that it worked out for good. And so this next time I know God can do that. And, um, and then we are, we are, we, we experience a stability. We're not ashamed. It says in King James, um, we have confidence and rest and even anticipation because we know that God's going to take care of us through them. And, um, and, and I would say those two things, becoming a child and realizing I don't have, this doesn't have to make sense. I don't have to understand why this happened. Um, one thing that, that contributed to a lot of confusion in my life was some very bad concepts about God's will. And so I, well, I thought that God led me that I thought there were signs and things like that, that this was supposed to happen. And that's a, a, a big topic for another, another time. Um, but not having to understand why things happen necessarily, but learning to trust God and make the choice to trust in faith to me is when I decide this is what's real. And then of course I act on that. And many times this has been some grueling, some, some Apollyon type, Christian and Apollyon type battles of just sometimes just screaming at the darkness, often on the road for some reason, and yelling, God is good. I will trust him. God is good. I will trust him against the, the, the darkness pushing in of despair and, and often pushing me towards sin, towards um, especially lust and things like that as a, as a, as a salve. <clears throat> um, so we have to, we have to push through the darkness. And that's what I meant earlier when I said that the darkness and the difficulties I experienced actually are the things that today ground me is because not my, my expectation is not that God will somehow answer all my prayers for, for healing or for, for relationships or, or, or whatever it is. But my expectation is, is that God will do good through them and it, I will be okay. And in the end, I will have had, I will have grown and I will have had tremendous opportunities to learn to know God better and to join him in, in overcoming evil in the world. Um, so those two things, becoming childlike and not having to understand everything, but persevering 
and choosing to spin that Romans five, three through five cycle. Um, um, provides something then that I, I can look back and I know through some difficult things, I know it has been okay. And I don't know how the next phase is going to go, but I know it will be okay. I got to, I got to wrap up here. Um, one other thing I didn't, I didn't talk much about. Um, one thing I think that has been sadly lacking in, in the use of apologetics is the, uh, the ultimate apologetic of the changed life, the, the Ephesians 2.10 poema or artwork, not just the Romans, the Romans 1, 19 through 20 artwork, the, the, the extra human creation. Um, and the other one is, is a true presentation of the Bible story and the historic gospel. And I've heard different talks about been going through the, um, the King series. <clears throat> and many of those talks have, have brought out this thing of the Bible is telling us a story about God's um, goodness and creation and, and designing and join and at, inviting humans to join him in that. And our, our choice to, to exercise independence and selling our world to Satan, the destroyer and God's, and, and then the stories that are, that are helping us evaluate ourselves. How are we going to interact with this whole thing? Who are we going to choose to be? And then the prophecies um, telling of the, the hero who is going to, to come in and conquer and reestablish the kingdom and, um, and then his life and example and, and weaving that together in a story that has just become so powerful to me. And I think we can, we can combat, you know, uh, questions about textual accuracy and, and, uh, and stuff like that about the Bible. But when you can turn around and say, well, this, have you ever read the Bible? Do you, do you know what the Bible is about and, and weave them an overview, then they have something to pull them into it. And often that will, you don't, you're not, when you realize that you want to go in the door, you no longer are concerned about what was distracting you outside. So I think that is another tremendous thing that, um, that we should learn more about how to do and how to articulate the true gospel, not a, a Romans road type of, you know, God made a bunch of rules and uh, we all broke them. And, and therefore God is mad at us eternally, unless somebody pays the penalty for our sins. I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds sarcastic, but I'm, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to um, maybe create a, a bit of a caricature for, for us to see some of its, its, um, inconsistencies or, or peculiarities and, and therefore then being a Christian is about a transaction so that we no longer have to worry about this penalty and then about making sure that we're good enough that we, you know, we don't lose our ticket um, to a, a kingdom, a, a likeness of a, of the ideal person to be experienced by each of us and demonstrated by each of us. And then together as a community to begin something now that's going to last forever. So, so um, yeah, just wrapping that up really quick, I think some, some, some lacking things and some powerful apologetics in, in context is this thing that we need to become like a child. Our evidence and our use of evidence needs to lead people to laying aside their intellect and being willing to trust. And in and our, and our discussions, it's really important to, to learn that, that place to sense, is this person really having struggling and needing some, some evidence or are they, are they resisting evidence? And, and not to, not to mess around then to, to show an interest in them as a person, uh, this became a buzz term at Soldier of the Cross this year, but talk about their dog. <laughs> don't, don't hammer a subject that they're, they're resisting, show an interest in them as a person. And that becomes an apologetic in itself that will open them. Um, yeah. So becoming like a child, 
realizing we cannot and will not understand everything. The ultimate evidence of a changed life, an obedient life, and an obedient a society that lives together in peace and harmony and const constructiveness. Um, and then telling about God's epic, God's story of hero heroism and, and the, the, um, the kingdom that is to be redeemed and, and rebuilt. So anyways, um, thank you for listening. I hope, hope this talk has been uh, somewhat beneficial to you in, in some way. And I'll turn the time back over to Brian. Okay, thank you so much, Bill, for for sharing. Um, I there's there's certain subjects that I can quickly I find myself spacing on pretty quickly, um, but not a subject like this. Uh, I'm I'm so excited to to um, see brothers like you <clears throat> um, using using your intellect and helping us think. And, um, we, we need that, you know, I, I, um, I, I do not consider myself, um, an apologist in per se, you know, someone who can, uh, you know, quit pretty easily, you know, really defend some of the nuances of, you know, how we got the Bible or whatever. Um, um, and, uh, and surrounding, start surrounding myself with, with what, whether it's a, you know, brother or two in our church that I can direct people to, you know, some of these more difficult subjects, um, or, you know, a subject like this, you know, here on strength to strength that really helps us maybe zoom out a little bit and, um, and look at it from the big picture. Um, and I can tell that yeah, you've thought deeply about this and this is also a personal journey as well. Um, yeah. So as so I'll be opening up here for questions, you know, as normal, but, uh, just a, th a question for you, um, Bill. So how do you, as you think about your, your, you interfacing with the world. So obviously you work in their breakfast trailer. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're a salesman, I believe there, working in the front <clears throat> counter, um, working, you live in the city of, of Chambersburg. You, your, your congregation is right there in Chambersburg. Um, as you imagine your life, what does it look like? You know, do you imagine, uh, you know, a podium at your local university with you expounding, you know, on, on, on the nuances of whatever subject and trying to convince the skeptic, um, what, or maybe a street corner, you know, holding a sign, um, is it, you know, a whole row of tracks on the front counter there at Breckville trailer? What, what does, what does it look like in your mind's eye as you, and experiences that you have um, to to be faithful in this in what what you were sharing with us, um, yeah. Uh, what, what does it look like? Yeah, so that's what I'm looking for. I'm I'm hoping for an audience of ten thousand um, within hopefully within the next two years. <laughs> okay. Actually, I'm not going to resist any of that kind of involvement. Uh, but I I I have a um, I have a, um, a big concern about celebrity culture in Christianity hmm. because true effectiveness is through relationships. It's, it's through the, 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 the rabbi disciple relationships, life on life, um, if you please. And, and so I feel like, well, it, it's good to go to kingdom fellowship weekend and hear a message, but the real change that's going to happen is through 
that evidence and that of my life touching someone else's and them seeing. Uh, one thing I didn't say is this whole thing of faith. It's a, it's very difficult when you're young because you don't have that experience of Romans chapter five. Uh, and, and so it's very important to have role models look up to. You can say, I want to be like that person and I'm going to persevere. I'm going to choose his kind of choices. Um, I'm going to exercise the faith that he has put in here when he can't understand. And when he's suffering his faith in God's goodness, um, so I feel like that's that's the realm of influence that I'm going to put most of my eggs. I'm going to put them in that basket. Hmm. Um, I, I think there has been a lot of damage done by people looking up to, that's what I mean by celebrity culture, looking up to these people that they don't know. Um, so that's that's uh, a little on that. Um, sure. For myself, my I, I my realm of influence, I, I guess when I see this is 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 conversations one on one or in small groups, talks with my students. So much of this I owe to my students and their questions, and we we would talk about you know the problem of suffering. Why did God allow my brother to fall out of the tree and become paralyzed? You know, um, why does God let people die from cancer? And, and those discussions have helped me wrestle through my own questions and and um, and. Uh, my students are precious to me because of that. Uh, that's worth all, all the money I lost while I taught school is being able to hopefully help. And I, I know some of them has been able to help them step out onto a better platform in their faith. Um, conversations with, with customers come up. We're, 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 a, we're a pretty lean outfit here. So we don't have, you know, just all kinds of people sitting around. We're, we're, we're all very busy, but there's lots of opportunities, especially as men, to stand out by humble, kind, gentle leadership. Um, there's lots of opportunities to, um, to, to display a different attitude towards people who are weak or ignorant, whether it's a man's wife or whether it's his children or a customer or whatever, um, to display those kind of things. And those bring lots of opportunities to talk about Jesus and his way of relating, that this is the true way to life. It, it causes us to have to crucify ourselves. So yeah, that's a little more um, tracks I think can be good, but I think they're minimally good. Um, God has done a lot of good through a lot of things that are less than ideal. Um, but the personal testimony I think is an in, in influence in small groups. I, I, Bible schools, things like that. I, I, I'm happy to be involved in those kind of things and be some stepping stones in them. But so yeah, I hope that answers your question a little bit. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Any questions from the audience here? I have one. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you. you. You talked about the ultimate apologetic, and I couldn't agree more with that. And I guess my question is, comes from a question I got this week when talking to a friend. And if you're in a setting where the group as a whole isn't necessarily doing that, how can you as an individual um, – try to do that where's how do you start um i don't know if you have any advice on that how do you what encouragement would you have for an individual that's in a setting that isn't necessarily doing so good at that um ultimate apologetic yeah that's a, that's an excellent question and then by the way wes is he's a few stone throws across town from me works at works here at breckville trailers too so good to see your face this morning um First of all, I, 
my, my, I extend my sympathy. I, I feel for you. Uh, I've been there many times and that's very, very frustrating. Um, I guess I, I was at that place in 2007. I, I look back as a major turning point. I was ready to leave. I was, I was, if I would have known a place to go where there wasn't church problems, I'd have been out of there in a cloud of black smoke and gravel, praising the Lord. Um, but I, I realized I needed, I needed humility and I needed God to allow, to soften myself and look at that as an exercise of, of training that God wanted to use in my life to, to shape me. Many of the things I'm concerned about have been because I've been concerned about them in other people. And God has shown me that I still have plenty of that in myself and has, has worked on me through that. Um, I, there is, I think there's a place to change churches and things like that. Um, that's a little bit of a, a long discussion. I don't have all the answers to it. I would just, would, I'm slow to recommend people. Yeah. You need to move. Um, just because that's a, a, uh, a, a big uh, fallacy that my circumstances are going to change things massively. It can make a big difference, but, uh, I would encourage a person to first learn to become broken before God about it. And, and like Daniel says, we in our fathers have sinned to say, God, I, I am a part of a society that tends to be this way. I have a lot of it in me and I need you to change me along with our society and, and help me to learn how to be, um, to lead out in that. Um, so I, I don't know if that makes any difference there. Um, there's a time to move. Um, be careful about mirage of thinking, oh, that church over there, boy, it just looks like, I grew up with that. Oh, we moved to this church and boy, there, everybody loves each other. And nine months down the road, the church split down the middle. Okay. So be, beware of the mirage and um, um, let God exercise you through and, and train you through the experience. Um, I can't say that enough times really. Uh, so yeah, without going into a lot, that's, I guess that's some of my perspective on it. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Bill. Um, one thing I thought about as you were sharing, you know, what is the ultimate apologetic? And, and you laid that out, this, this new creation, um, this, this ecclesia, this, the church, the body of believers together is that, uh, that ultimate apologetic. And uh, uh, Francis, Francis Schaeffer says, like, uh, the community of believers is really the last apologetic like it's, it's the ultimate um and and in in this book right here um as you were talking i was it's mm-hmm. gary miller's book reaching america powerful book he just it just came out i mean he talks a lot about this and he has some graphs in in the book that talk about how so you know wes your question there your friend mm-hmm. is people people have um you know they're in, in a congregation where they're not reaching out and so they go to another congregation where they are strong in outreach, but so many times they're just weak on community. And, it, and it's a huge loss, incredible loss. And so his challenge is if you do move, really go think about what is the ultimate apologetic. And he says right here, um, he has this little line. He says, uh, a church where their personal lives are open to their brothers and sisters and their homes are open to their neighbors. This is the model that I believe Jesus desires. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that it's, yeah, it's something we've got to really think about 
as we consider, um, you know, what does it look like to really make a difference uh, in the world? And I, you know, Bill, we, you know, um, you talk about, you know, Ray Comfort and Ken Ham and all these people and, and our people are listening you know, to them a lot. Um, you know, there's, you know, we have access to the, you know, to the tons of information. And, and so that's something that I, that we care with the admin team about strength, strength of strength is how can we like help ourselves think about what really is the historic faith that you were mm-hmm. challenging right. us to. We need to go back to that. Yeah. You know, and I was just at, we were on the way back from a trip and we realized we were coming right past the ark um, in, in Indiana. Wait, whatever that is. And we swung in there and, and spent a couple hours and I happened to meet a, a Mennonite brother there that he, we interacted and, and he, he, he told me, he said, Hey, he said, Hey, did you hear Ken Ham's talk today? And I said, no, I, I didn't, I, I didn't go to it. I wasn't really that interested in listening to Ken Ham talk. Um, and he said, wow. And I didn't say that to him, but he said, uh, he said, uh, you should have heard that talk. Amazing. Ken Ham's conservative. He, he come preaching our own churches. We should have him, you know, like we need to get him in our churches. And I just thought, wow, you know, I, I look at, there's a lot of good things there, but Ken Ham and, and his, his organization and his people will come at the scriptures so differently mm-hmm. than what we, we should be as, as people who have been given the, you know, uh, the, the uh, hermeneutic, an Anabaptist hermeneutic, right. or a Kingdom Christian, or, or whatever you want to call it, um, we, we look at scriptures and the way of following Jesus quite differently. Uh, and so, I think these kind of talks are so important for us to wrestle with them. What really is the way to change the world? And so, you you, you were definitely working on that here this morning. Um, all right, any other questions from from anybody here for Bill? If I can, I'd like to make a comment on that. Yeah. One about about the church thing. One thing I would recommend is make sure that there's a full obedience that they place as much emphasis on on the obedience to Jesus about our relationships as they do about loving our enemies and and modesty and things like that. That they place equal emphasis on those things, and that the as was brought out that the the primary method of overcoming issues or, or struggles per, that personal growth or not becoming worldly is discipleship it's when there's a someone's having a struggle and we we create a small group and and help walk them through that um though i think those are some maybe some kind of your, your comments spurred my my mind on that and, and about i can't say more agree with you more about the whole thing about answers and genesis and groups like that it's not that there's not good things to be learned from them but i think un, unless you understand what the historic faith was and how modern Christianity differs, unless you understand and you've learned how to take those glasses off and put on the apostolic glasses, the glasses. Yeah. Um, You are in a very dangerous point. If you don't know the difference between what Jesus and the apostles taught and what not, not to label anybody, but like Ken Ham or even Robbie Zacher, that's a, that's a can of worms there. But um uh, you're actually in a dangerous place. I think you're, you're probably being deceived. And I know that because I was, I didn't realize how my own feet were slipping a little bit on some, some important uh, Bible teaching. So it's not that we can't benefit from that, but unless we understand um, the historic faith and we, we, we have learned how to take those glasses off that we were born with, so to speak, and, and readjust, we actually probably are in a very dangerous position to be, to be drinking from that well. 
Yes, thanks, Bill. Uh, any other? Anyways, questions, sorry. Yeah, we should wrap this up here in a couple of minutes. <laughs> we're almost at 7.30, but I think we're still going strong. We should try to wrap this up here shortly. Uh, any other uh, questions here? Let's be, be quick with him. All right. Well, um, I think we could go for a long time, Bill. I think we need to get you back on and keep, I think you were tackling way too much this morning. You were just, you were just dipping your toe in here, dipping your toe in here. And so maybe you will, um, I, I shouldn't say maybe, uh, if you're willing, <laughs> we'll have you back on and keep, keep working at this over the next six months or year or whatever it is. Okay. Um, so one of the quotes that, that I find that gives me a lot of, a lot of uh, inspiration, as, as I mentioned, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself um, at all uh, an, an, apolog an apologist. Um, I, I find it difficult to really, you know, dig deep with, with an intellectual, with a skeptic. Um, but, um, and, and I, I'm not saying this to discredit Bill, we, we need the, the, those who, who are the, we absolutely do, but this is what N.T. Wright says. He says this, he says, our primary task is not so much to give answers to impossible philosophical questions as to bring signs of God's new world to birth. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need a PhD to bring signs of God's new world to birth. Right. Um, it's, it's ABC stuff. It's, it's kindness. It's all these things that at the end of the day, um, as we couple them really with, with truth and with grace, it becomes a powerful, powerful wooing wooing people into the kingdom and so may God give us much, much grace for these things. So um, thank you, Bill, so much for coming on and sharing. Um, our talk for next week is our last um, segment on the King and Country series. And that is um, by Brother Sam Bear from uh, Alberta. He'll be on uh, talking about the King's final victory. So uh, join us, join us in. And um, God bless you all and have a wonderful uh, Saturday. Grace and peace. Thanks again, Bill. Yep. yep. Thank you. Blessings yep. to you. Goodbye. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.